tinfoil hat. Oh, what the fuck are you guys even talking about? Global controls will have to be imposed. And a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to tinfoil hat. We, we, we go deep, homeboy. Eric, open your mind. Drink. From the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional shit. Wake up, Aaron. This is only the beginning. Dude, you just blew my mind. Are you ready to get your mind blown? Revolution will be podcasted. Yeah, and welcome to Tin Foil Hat. You know I am. You know what I'm here to do. Uh, I appreciate you guys. Obviously, you see there's no XG here. Uh, we were having some studio problems, so we just flew in from Skankfest, and I just told XG to go home because he's tripping on acid. So I'm like, stay home, stay home. <laughs> we don't need a, a Mexican on acid in the room. Tripping in bilingual languages, okay? So I said, stay home. We had a great time. To everybody who came to Skank Fest, you are wonderful people. It is a wonderful festival. If I had to live in a world of Skank Fest, I would be there. Uh, it is hard to tell people that you were just at a festival called Skank Fest, but if they were there, they would love it. Uh, a lot of controversy with Louis C.K. going on. Uh, me personally, man, uh, I think... People deserve second chances. I know I've been given second, third, and fourth chances in my life. As far as I know, he didn't physically uh, sexually assault anybody. He didn't murder anybody. He didn't molest any children. He didn't, uh, you know, physically abuse anybody. So in my, everyone deserves a second chance. He lost pretty much everything. And the fact that people are flipping out and putting this guy in Bill Cosby and, uh, and uh, Harvey Weinstein's thing is just ridiculous to me. Those are my statements, not that of my guests today, so I just want to get that clear. Uh, the next big show will be, uh, we have Tuesday night, tomorrow night, is Comedy Chaos Live at the Comedy Store, 10.30 show, only $20. We got both the fighter and the kid, Doug Benson, uh, Jessamay Peluso, Eddie Bravo, Flat Earth Bravo will be there, and uh, Jackie Fabulous. It's only 20 bucks, man. It is a two hours of power. Come down and rock. Okay, it's going to be a good time. $20 tickets. Come get them now. It will be wonderful to you. And then July 6th, we are live in uh, Huntington Beach at the Rec Room. We are coming for you. Rec Room. It's Tim Foyle Comedy Night. Myself, Eddie Bravo, XG, we will all be there. Go to recroomhb.com, okay? Uh, check out the Patreon. I haven't put anything on there in a week and a half. You will get a ton of comedy, uh, conspiracy nows. Uh, you're going to get the Skank Fest set on there. So uh, go check it out. It's uh, patreon.com backslash Tim Foyle Hot. All the t-shirts are up. Uh, if you want to support the show, all the t-shirts are on Tin Foyle Hat t-shirts.com 
They're all there. Help us out. Support the show because the show's doing some pretty amazing things. Uh, we're getting big. You know, we got the number 22 last week on uh, iTunes. I, I can't believe it. Number 22. We were 117 of all podcasts on iTunes. And it's all because of you guys. And I'm very thankful to everybody, both the, uh, the guys and all the smoke shows that watch the show. You are all gorgeous. I'm always shocked. When I see how attractive you are and you listen to the show. So a lot of great things are going on. I want to thank uh, Lauren Petrie and my good friend Reed Becker for uh, doing Skankfest with us. We appreciate you. You guys rocked it. And I think that is it. Oh, yeah. Real quick, we got to give it up for Absolute Extract. Absolute Extract is sponsoring Comedy Chaos, okay? Go to abx.org. Get all your weed uh, there. Whatever you want. It's there. Next level weed, Okay. They are like the X-Men of weed, okay? They got Dr. X, and they're just, they got everything. They got stuff for your pinky toe. They got it for your joints. Uh, you name it, CBD. Uh, they put CBD in everything. They put CBD in your coffee, which is weird because you want to get high and caffeine. That's a weird, that's a weird combo, <laughs> but that's all there. So go to abx.org. We appreciate their sponsorship of our show. Uh, tomorrow night's going to be packed out the store, and without ABX, uh, it wouldn't be possible. Go again. Go to abx.org and support our good friends at Absolute Extract. And that is the business at hand. Uh, today, we didn't know it was going to happen again because we were having problems with the headphones. But the podcast gods made it happen. And I'm very blessed. Uh, we are welcoming back returning champion to the show. Uh, one of my favorite guests. One of my favorite people uh, to follow on Twitter. Him and his sister are truly the uh, the, the the force of good. They're doing the Lord's work. They're telling the truth, uh, even when it's not popular. Uh, he is the host of Media Roots Radio. My good friend and yours, Robbie Martin. How are you, Robbie? I'm doing great, Sam. Thanks for having me on again. No problem, man. No problem. I love it. I'm like we're like a kind of a weird like comedy do uh, like a com- uh, like a cop duo like you know <laughs> like you play by the book and i can't read and together we fight crime in san francisco by the way we're gonna be in san fran september 13th at Cobbs. i would love for oh, you rad. to come out as our guest rad okay. oh i would love it i would love to man that'd yeah. be awesome so uh real quick tell them where they can find your podcast real quick robbie uh, best place to find it's just on all the you know major podcast platforms, iTunes, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, uh, whatever the hell else is out there right now. Um, but uh, iTunes is probably the best way. I hate promoting Apple, but yeah, you know, I'm with you, it's dude. the best way to get it. You can subscribe to it. You can rate it there. Um, so, yeah. What is your take on all this censorship? I know that there's some people out there that maybe you don't necessarily agree with philosophically, but... What is your take on the whole deplatforming, all that stuff? Oh, I mean, I have a, I have a lot to say about it, but I'll I'll try to encapsulate my, my opinions into something brief. Um, I mean, I live in Silicon Valley. I've lived here pretty much my whole life. So the idea that Silicon Valley is leftist um, is really laughable to me. It's it's something that I, I, I agree on the idea that censorship is a serious issue with these Silicon Valley platforms. But my bigger concern is that these, these companies are basically um, connected to the power structure like of the U.S. government. And at some point, it seems like their goal is 
to basically eliminate everything off of their platforms that is remotely controversial or against the status quo uh, media narratives or the U.S. government narratives. So even things like conspiracy videos um, about 9-11, for example, those are already under threat on platforms like YouTube. So my, my whole take on it is this, gets, goes, this goes much broader than just the idea of conservative thought being marginalized or censored online. I think that it is actually coming for us all. Um, you know, anyone who's involved in independent media um, who does stuff that big corporations and the state doesn't like. So I guess that's my... I would say that your sister and her, the website news that got wiped off the internet for a while was, isn't conservative at all. If not, she's like super progressive left and they wiped her off and they, they paint it as conservatism. But what really it is, is truth to power. And they pick these little things to make you hate certain people and they could do with anybody. I mean, they could pick any group of people and try to demonize you by uh, twisting kind of the reality to make everybody push you off. So these people kind of demand that you do lose your YouTube channel when uh, based off of phony information and stuff like that. And it is all truth to power. Uh, we see with Julian Assange getting arrested and thrown into jail and, you know, people in the community like myself just like, Wanting to believe that there's something out there that's really going on. I, I, I hold out hope, not because like I want my credibility to be saved, but because I really just hope that Julian Assange will be okay. And when I had Alex Jones in my studio and he was constantly quoting WikiLeaks and, and everybody who follows him and they're not an uproar. And there is, there is a lot of people going crazy who are concerned from the right about Julian Assange, but there isn't a giant uproar from both sides when we get mad at Acosta being kicked out of, or, or uh, is that his name, Acosta or Acosta, whatever, kicked out of the White House press briefings, and everyone's like, the press! And then when this guy gets thrown in jail, and it, it's just unbelievable to me, it's so obvious that it's truth to power, especially when we all are meant to believe that WikiLeaks is a reason why Trump got elected. Yeah, I mean, I mean, just on the Alex Jones issue for a second, the idea that he was censored or that he was banned because of, quote unquote, hate speech from his side. I mean, that argument doesn't hold water when you look at the fact that Fox News um, is, you know, no one's talking about censoring them. It's not like, you know, his opinions in terms of like right wing ideas that he spreads are any more extreme than the stuff that comes out on Fox News. So there's clearly something else going on here. And I think underlying all this, it really is the people in power are so desperate to cling on to their power that they're losing, um, that they're essentially willing to do a scorched earth strategy and ruin the idea of free speech and free and open exchange on the Internet for everybody to cling to their power. Um, That's how desperate they are to hold on to it. So I think that that's where we're heading towards. And I mean, it started with the idea of fake news being a problem, Russian disinformation being a problem. Now it's you know, uh, hate speech being a problem. I mean, all these things, um, they're all working towards the same goal. And, you know, I'm, I'm a guy very much on the left. I believe the concept of hate speech is real, but I'm not one of those people who wants it banned from the internet, um, at at all. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the first amendment in this country is still very important. So, um, it's, yeah, it's a really big problem and it's going to affect everybody from the left and the right. Um, so, 
I, I think that's the way we need to be looking at it. I also think that there's a lot of people that are disguising themselves as liberals uh, when really they are uh, rich kids uh, sitting there in <laughs> positions of, of entertainment power. Like when we consider the Hollywood elites, you know, disguised as artists, but really just the children of uh, the elites who parents made money in the things that uh, these videos are railing against and how they push this like we got to get rid of hate hate is bad hate is this but what they don't realize that there was a time when the people that they so protect which women gays ethnics minorities who i love and support where uh those groups were the uh, were the targets of uh, the mainstream censorship, meaning it was right to left. I say it all the time, the book burning. You know, it's like if you read this book, it was against God, and they would burn those books if you were gay or you wanted to get married. That was a sin. Uh, interracial dating, something that we see all the time in commercials that corporate America uses to sell their products. At one time, that was seen as taboo, and there were like, white women who would be dating black men who were just like completely ostracized from their community because they just fell in love with somebody that was they weren't supposed to be with because that was unnatural and unholy and i tell people it's like regardless of what you think of guns or not i'm very much pro-gun only because i i read history and i see like the countries that take away guns what happens after that and in particular i would ask everybody to look at like china russia both had population had guns taken away mass slaughter after and this is my opinion this isn't robbie so if you don't like it come at me is that uh mass slaughter and then look how they treat women see how they treat gays see how they treat ethnic minorities it's not pretty at all. Am I saying it's directly related to guns? No, but that is a factor because the population can't push back because one side has the guns, one side doesn't. That's all I'm saying. I don't want guns for violence. I just, I want guns because I'm watching all this stuff with the yellow vest right now in France and I'm seeing one side has guns, one side doesn't. When I look at North Dakota and the pipeline, one side has guns, one side doesn't. And that's all I'm saying. I don't like gun violence. One gun violent death is one too many. But there is a reason that we had that. And that's my opinion. That is not Robbie. I would never put words into his, his uh, mouth. Those are mine. Uh, tinfoil hat, Sam Tripoli, uh, guy with a black eye from a scooter. You ever gotten a black eye, Robbie? I can't remember the last time I have, Sam. I, I mean, yeah, but I definitely have, probably not since high school. It's very weird <laughs> when you're a grown man, people want to know why you got a black eye. And then when you tell them the real reason, that the, these are the, the two reactions. Oh, my God, are you okay? Second up, you need a better story. Everybody was not happy with my story that I went over the top of a scooter and ate it. Like, just face first. And by the way... Armenian Wolverine, look how healed I am from the first picture. I mean, unbelievable. Nice. Three days ago, my face was just, my eye was shut. Boom. Okay, so there I am. I'm going to tell the story. There I was in uh, New York City. I just did a set. My friend drops me off in the middle of nowhere. I don't even know where I am in New York. It's like McDougal and something. And I, we just dropped me off. And he's like, okay, <laughs> see you later. I'm like, where am I going? He's like, just get an Uber. I'm like, okay, I get an Uber. Before I know of it. A black trans just swarming on me. You know, I'm a white guy in the corner. They're like, they're thinking 
payday, right? Boom, they get right on me. And they're like, what happened to your, what happened to your eye? I like, I went over to Scooter, like, uh-uh, Scooters don't do that. You got your ass beat. And then I had to debate these lovely trans people for five minutes on my eye really got from a scooter. And then they felt so bad, they offered me $20 blowjobs. So at the end of the day, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. That's my point of that joke. I love having you on, Rob. Uh, today, we are talking the Iraq, I mean, Iran and the false flags that they are trying to do to get us into yet another war. Uh, Rob, what is your first take on this whole thing? Uh, did we see this coming? Is it, I mean, are we surprised by this? I, I mean, I, I'm not surprised by it at all, just based on what I've been kind of looking at since Trump got in office. But I, I think the one thing that's interesting about this that I've even experienced on like a visceral level is just almost this fatigue of constantly feeling like we've been moving towards some kind of war with Iran since 9-11. Like it, like it just seems like that was the, you know, the so-called the prize of the neocons at the end of all this. And it's been almost 20 years and, and it's only been very recently that this has sort of escalated to a whole new level um, where it actually seems like uh, we are very, very close to a war in a way that we haven't been maybe, I, I don't even know if it's been since 9-11. I can't remember another time since 9-11, we were this close to a confrontation with Iran. Um, so it, my, my take on it is this has been a long time coming. Um, we should have expected that this would happen eventually and that the neocons and the military-industrial complex would sort of figure out a way or try to create a pathway to get us into war. The part that immediately sort of was strange to me, though, is that the pathway they've created seemed really sloppy and not very convincing um, and effective to get the people in the public to go along with it. So that that part was kind of threw me off. I'm thinking, well, they're being really aggressive and belligerent on one hand, and then the other hand, they're not really doing the best job to try to sell this to people. So I, you know, and I don't know if that's just indicative of the of how Trump runs his administration. If he's just not very competent to deliver these effective narratives or if it means something else. I, I really, I, I couldn't tell you, but, um, do you think I, I it mean, has I, something I to do with it, Robbie, uh, kind of about what we were just talking about to, uh, to open the show about how, uh, they're not really going after conservatives they are going after truth to power. And that there is now so much evidence proven over time that, uh, with straight up facts, evidence, emails, photos, whatever, uh, history that, you know, this is a playbook that's done. And we are, we were in eight, was it 2001? It's 2019, 18 years of perpetual war. And this is a playbook that they constantly use over and over and over again. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and and it's it, to me it's just kind of bizarre that this time it was also another you know ship uh, that was supposedly attacked, um, but it wasn't a U.S. ship, so it was like they were trying to get us outraged. You know, in the past, w what you're mentioning in the past is they would try to get us outraged over attacks on U.S. personnel or um, attacks, domestic attacks inside the United States, but this was an attack 
that's you know was on two different foreign oil tankers, and they expected us to, I guess, get outraged over that. Um, so that I don't know, just kind of seems like they're not really trying very hard. And even the idea that people are going to get so upset over shooting the drone down, which is the most recent thing that happened, just doesn't seem to hold water either. Like, I mean, you have to tr- got to try a little harder, guys, to get people into this. So I think it's a combination of what you're talking about. People are so aware um, of how many false flag attacks have been done to try to get us into war. And simultaneously, this attempt to actually get us into a war is not a very good attempt. So th- those two things are happening at once. I agree with that. Basically, uh, a, a false flag, if you go to the Wikipedia page, is a, a covert operation desi- designed to deceive. Uh, the deception creates an appearance of a particular party, group, or nation being responsible for activities disguised as an actual dis- disguising the actual source of the responsibility. The term false flag originated and referred to pirate ships that flew the flags of countries as a disguise to prevent the victims from fleeing or preparing for battle. Sometimes the flag will remain and the blame for the attack would be uh, badly uh, laid incorrectly or on another country. So that's basically what we're seeing. What countries are. Countries either perpetrate the attack or through their media tells the, the population that they were attacked by the quote unquote bad guys, which is a very classic thing from 1984. They talk about that in 1984. And if you go out there and you, you, you Google proven false flags, you'll get something from global research, which says 53 proven Proven cases of false flags, and they will break down so many times false flags were used. Uh, Japanese used it. Uh, Nazis used it all the time. Uh, Nazis again. Soviets used it. The Russians used it. The British used it. Israel's used it. The CIA's used it. The Turkish people. I mean, like, we're looking at people who were just straight up empires using it over and over and over again. And it's just, it's kind of sad, man, because it makes me wonder if, like, if any war is started because two groups really get into it, or is it that the power elites want to make money or want more land, more power, so they have to fake this fight to get the population behind it? It makes me kind of sad, because I don't think human beings really want war. I think human beings just yeah. really want to live, love, you know, laugh at a fart joke, get laid once in a while, have a beer, and just enjoy their family. And, and, and we have we kind of get our emotions abused through this patriotic stuff, being told that we got ta- no, the, the hate our freedoms, man. The hate our freedoms. I'm like, I remember when he said that. I go, if they hate freedom so much, why aren't they bombing the fuck out of Amsterdam? <laughs> You, should, you could get a hooker and heroin and a, a meal deal out there. Why are they going after us? It's like kind of crazy, right? Well, I mean, it's obvious bullshit. <laughs> and, and, I mean, the, the, the whole thing you're talking about is people inherently don't want war. I mean, who wants war unless you have some kind of direct personal reason, like someone you know bombed your home? And you want to fight back against those people. There's very few people and situations where you actually want war. So, I mean, the, the idea of a false flag attack 
in a lot of these scenarios, it was if you look at it, zoom out from it, you know, and in most of these scenarios, like look at the Gulf of Tonkin example, um, it was the spark that basically, you know, created the war or created the escalation for it to explode into a bigger war. So what would have happened in these historical incidents had those false flag attacks not been used to try to create that spark? You know, maybe there would have been some diplomacy uh, to sort of ease the tensions, you know. And I think in a lot of the times the people who want to do these so-called false flag attacks, their goal is to essentially accelerate things and make it impossible for diplomacy at that point. For because sure. before before these sparks happen, you know, there's a potential there for maybe there can be a, a de-escalation of this. But what this these false flags attack often do is they make that completely impossible because we've moved, you know, sort of beyond a tipping point. Once everybody's outraged that the Vietnamese, you know, from a little boat shot us, shot a torpedo at us, apparently, um, that's all we needed to believe that there was no reason to try to negotiate or de-escalate these things. And uh, it was our right to essentially decimate their population. So, And with Vietnam, I mean, you brought it, up the, goal, the Gulf of Tonkin. I mean, the lie that was perpetrated to us was we had to stop the domino effect of communism. Well, what people didn't realize is that, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but Vietnam is communism right now, but communist right now, but Vietnam and China hated each other. They were, they were never going to work together. They've always had that. They did not have a good relationship. So the effect of China being able to basically bring them into their group was never a real thing. And then we've had guests come on in the past, and they told us that Vietnam really was about uh, Vietnam's golden triangle, which is their heroin poppy fields. And where have we heard that again, that come up again in Afghanistan, where, you know, that we were sold on that the Taliban were these, they funded 9-11 and all this stuff. And, you know, but what, what they didn't tell us is that the Taliban had basically banned opium and they destroyed the poppy fields and, the, you know, big pharmaceuticals, didn't like that. So what a great reason to go into Afghanistan. And now, you know, I, I, I say it's on stage and, you know, I get some weird reaction to it, but it's true. But when I hear people say, I don't want my taxpayer dollars going to help drug addicts, guess what? Your taxpayer dollars are already doing that because your taxpayer dollars pay for the troops that guard the poppy fields in Afghanistan because the Taliban hate opium and they want to burn those fields down. And I'm not saying the Taliban are good people. We know how they treat women and that's or that's how we're told they treat women. And that's disgusting. But make no doubts about it. We are guarding poppy fields. And it's the same thing with Vietnam. Have you ever heard of Operation Northwood, Robbie? Absolutely. This, that's the classic, man. That's, um, uh, yeah, I have heard of Operation Northwoods. I mean, it was, it was proposed uh, by the Joint Chiefs of Staff under John F. Kennedy. Um, there's a record of it being rejected uh, by Robert McNamara, who was, I believe, acting as his defense secretary at the time. And in this document, um, it was essentially proposing um, many different false flag style scenarios in order to validate or justify some kind of attack on Cuba directly. Um, and probably the most infamous one was uh, the idea of filling a plane full of people 
uh, presenting them as some kind of sports team or soccer team. I think it was like they, they were supposed and to go to some <laughs> art festival or something like that. Yeah, I don't know the details of who they were going to fill the plane with, but they were going to fill it with real people, give them all fake personas and names, I guess. Um, that's not really explicitly written out in there. But they do talk about how they're going to fly this plane in the air, a passenger plane, replace it in midair with a drone, and shoot down the drone with a plane that had Cuban markings on it, um, essentially creating a false flag attack, making it look like Cuba, a Cuban jet shot down this uh, this plane. Um, and in the document, one of the most amusing parts about it is they say that the fake deaths of all these passengers could help create a, quote, helpful wave of righteous indignation um, to get us into war with Cuba. So they, I mean, they completely understand, um, you know, this is back in the, this is, I think, 1964, this happened, maybe, or maybe later. Um, they completely understand that, uh, you know, how effective killing a whole plane full of civilians would be and making it look like Cuba did it. Um, and probably one of the most troubling parts of the document, this is something that conspiracy debunkers have ignored. Um, a lot of sort of like conspiracy debunker types, like I think even Michael Shermer uh, had a look over on uh, this document and said, you know, it's not really saying they're going to do anything actually violent. They're just going to create these hoaxes. But no, that's actually not true. In the document, they talked about attacking Guantanamo Bay with people who are working for America, dressed as Cuban soldiers, mortaring, shooting um, the basically the perimeter of Guantanamo Bay, putting the lives of American soldiers at risk. I mean, potentially killing some. Um, and then probably the craziest part of the whole document is it goes into a vaguer section that's not really explicit on exactly what they're going to do, but they do say suggest um, terrorist domestic terrorist campaigns in Miami in major uh, you know downtown parts of Miami um, that included bombings to make it look like pro uh, Castro Cubans did it. Um, and so these were all real things proposed. They're on paper. You could look up the document. It's actually one of the only like things on paper that we have to show and to prove that people in the government are like proposing these types of false flag scenarios. Um, we can imagine that it's probably been you know being done constantly uh, behind the scenes, but this is one of the only actual pieces of hard evidence that we have that this happens. I'm going to say something that I've said before. Again, my words, not Robbie's. I think when you talk about uh, a big uh, production, hey, we're going to Cuba, you know, put some in the air. I, I was told either they were going to land it and then send another plane up, but maybe they switched in the air. Another plane goes, big scene, uh, and everybody's like, oh, my God, they're attacking us. I mean – there's a lot of similarities to 9-11. It really is. We were told these planes were going to take off. They, we were told that. And uh, they're making calls from uh, a plane when that technology is not even possible. There's been research that some of those calls are pinged from the ground. We're told these were planes that were supposed to take off. That's what we're told. Uh, you know, remarkably, you have a couple celebrities who were supposed to be on the plane who didn't go on the plane and have remarkably gone on to uh, amazing careers, multiple different mediums of success, television, movies, singing, damn, whatever, across the board. You know, that's what we're told. Then they're flown into uh, this building 
And, you know, there's people who say that didn't have any commercial painting on it or anything like that. I mean, it sounds like so much of, uh, am I talking 9-11? Am I talking Operation Northwood? And it's just like, this is a continuation of what we've seen that, you know, we talk about it on here. It's like lizard people. I'm not saying they're lizard people. And I don't want Robbie to be like, what? show my on right now but it's like these psychopaths that don't have any creativity you know they're just not creative so they just keep using this game plan over and over and over and over until it doesn't work anymore and you know so now we got this thing boom we go into 9-11 uh the country's gone crazy the world is behind us they love us and when you just think about it man if that was a false flag and that was an inside job, which I will say with 100 percent, I, I, Sam Tripoli, believe this, um, that they knew that there were people in that building, some of the smartest financial minds of our life. And they just and there are certain people that weren't there that day, just like in Oklahoma City bombing. And uh, they weren't there. And the rest of them were allowed to go there. And uh, we lost some pretty brilliant, amazing people to sacrifice for uh, what was now looking at like billions and trillions and uh let's not forget also the day before donald rumsfeld has a uh giant conference in which the government can't like account for what was it either six or 13 trillion dollars and the exact words he says and we've covered it before is i know what you guys are thinking why would i want to attack the pentagon uh and the next day, they attack the Pentagon. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's very easy. And then we see what happens after uh, 9-11. Do you, know where you, do you remember where you were, Robbie, when 9-11 happened? Yeah, I, I was in bed. Um, I, I, I'm on Pacific time. So by the time it happened, I think, I mean, I think when the first plane hit, um, might have been 9 o'clock my time. I can't remember exactly. Um, but yeah, it, it, was, it was messed up, man. I mean... And I and, you know, this is something that I always hear like conspiracy debunkers say is that, oh, you know, the, the conspiracy theories and the conspiracy theorists are the ones who invented the sort of whole controlled demolition theory. Um, but I will never be able to escape my initial gut reaction to the towers falling when my roommate and I watched those towers falling on TV. We both looked at each other and we're just like, how in the hell did that happen? Like, how, why did that look like? Die, like the diehard movie cover like what is going on like we were we just didn't weren't able to wrap our heads around how both of those buildings collapsed so quickly um in the manner that they did on the day of 9-11 and it wasn't until maybe a couple years later that i started finding other people who were who had the same reaction as i did and were actually trying to study it so i mean there's there's really and this is actually an interesting interchange between joe rogan and a debunker that i remembered from a couple years back the debunker guy was like mad at Joe Rogan for <laughs> talking about building seven so much on his show. And then Joe actually responded with one of his best retorts ever. He was like, can you actually tell me with a straight face that you don't think building seven looks exactly like controlled demolition? And the guy had to admit that it did, even though this guy was a, a freaking professional debunker. So the fact that it looks exactly like one, um, you know, that's that's an important thing. And, and I, I don't you know, I don't care that it's become a meme or a joke. Like, I'll always believe that um, for as long as I live. Like, I, I, I can never escape 
um, not just the initial gut reaction I had, but just watching video clips of Building 7 falling. Have, Something fucking strange happened there. Absolutely. Uh, uh, I know we've talked about it on this podcast. I don't know if you've ever looked at Have you ever heard about Building 6? I've heard a little bit about it, and I try to avoid it because <laughs> it veers into the Judy Wood some of the, some of the space beam stuff, so I've I've not I've not gone there myself. Well, the biggest thing is that <laughs> I, I, it's it's you don't even have to get into exactly uh, shoots, but if you actually look at it, you can Google Building Six. You'll see that the entire wall, uh, all the walls of the building is there, and only the center is hollowed out, and it's very interesting that that happened, even though it wasn't anything near, and the fact that that isn't even talked about is really interesting to me. And when we, you know, we talk about how, um, you know, Donald Rumsfeld has this, uh, this big press conference about all this money being gone. And then you, you think of the five buildings that were hit and how three of them, uh, were accounting buildings, you know, the Pentagon, the part of the Pentagon was, uh, accounting Mm -hmm. building seven was accounting for several different departments. And then if, when you get a moment later on, look into it, building six house, the El Dorado task force, which was a task force of 55, uh, Government agencies pooling together resources to investigate money laundering, and uh, it's just like wow, all those get hit. It's kind of weird after the big, the big meeting. So we have, and then you have some testimony about what's going on. I can't find it right now, uh, but there's oh here it is. Uh, Transportory Transportation Secretary Norm M I N E T A. It's nine eleven testimony and what he talks about here is how he was on the plane with dick cheney and they're flying and i'll send you this link rob think, you can look at i think it. he was in the oval office with cheney yeah was no, he in the I oval office i thought they about. were on a plane uh, okay he's in the oval office and the fighter pilots are like uh 30 minutes out 20 minutes out 10 minutes yeah. out. Should we, should we engage? Should we stop it? And then basically, the, uh, not, I'm paraphrasing here, Dick Chain's like, did I tell you to stop it? Did I tell you the, cha- the, the plan had changed? To me, that's very telling. Uh, have you seen this video? Oh, yeah. That's a classic. That's, that's been in the sort of the 9-11 truth movement for a few years. The only problem with that video now is that part of Norman Mineta's testimony has been proven wrong by photographs that have come out since. But only the, really? p- the only part that was proven wrong is where he was located at the times that he said. So it doesn't mean that his exchange with Cheney is not accurate. I'm sure that happened. But there's been some uh, sort of confusion with the actual timeline that he laid out of that. So He was like, um, I'm in the kitchen with a candlestick. And they're like, no, you're in the bedroom with a uh, shoehorn. I <laughs> yeah, mean, I mean, like- it's basically like that. So it's not that big of a deal. But there were a lot of people who were constructing in the in the truth movement who were constructing a big mountain out of the timeline that he presented and that timeline has specifically has fallen apart but his actual words and sort of the shoot down order thing is still very interesting to me and yeah i mean i think cheney definitely has blood on his hands in some capacity with 9-11 um and i don't think it's just with the shoot down order i mean i'm sure he was uh, running there are other things that he uh <laughs> he had involvement in for um sure. So after 9-11, obviously, weapons of mass destruction comes. And, you know, to me, this is a moment where, like, I think an innocence of America starts to fade. 
And I know that we had JFK and all that stuff, but you know, now we're seeing the emergence, let's say, of the internet more and more. And now contrary thoughts and facts can be presented where we're not just getting it from mainstream corporate and media. And now we see these weapons of mass destruction. Uh, we see that, you know, I, I, I knew that our media was not telling us about all these um, huge protests around the world about the U.S. illegally invading Iraq. They wouldn't let us know anything about that because the world was just so angry that what we were doing and we saw Colin Powell, we saw like Condoleezza Rice and we see all these people just marching and and lying about this intel and everybody says they think they got faulty intel and we know over and over again that they just sent back any intel that didn't have that uh, uh, that you know Saddam had weapons of mass destruction and we have this story about uh what were your thoughts on the whole weapons of mass destruction stuff well i mean i have i feel like you have to tie it back to 911 in certain specific ways because Obviously, on some level, we wouldn't have been able to sort of get the public support for the Iraq war had there not been 9-11. But there were sort of other steps that you know happened from there to the Iraq war that are, are very interesting to sort of pick apart. So like one of them, like in the first five to six hours of the 9-11 attacks, the mainstream media wasn't even really talking about bin Laden yet. The perpetrator that was being labeled was some kind of Palestinian terrorist group. Um, they even played footage on television of, Pal- of Palestinians allegedly celebrating the 9-11 attacks, um, like at 12 noon East Coast time. So it seemed like the, the reason why 9-11 is such an interesting to look at it as sort of a false flag is because most of these you know supposed false flags, they're the the perpetrator has already decided before the attack or the operation is conducted. Yeah. In this case, it didn't seem like the power factions who were sort of in power at the time of 9-11 could decide immediately who was to blame. And someone was trying to blame Palestinians. Um, and that didn't who wasn't that effective be? enough to stick. And then they tried to blame bin Laden and al-Qaeda. And that was sort of a general vague blame that they put on him. But then, I mean, the way that we got from 9-11 to Iraq was they tried to, to blame 9-11 on Saddam Hussein also at first, saying that he was meeting or his own people were meeting with some of the 9-11 hijackers in Europe, um, that Saddam Hussein created a safe haven for bin Laden, um, and, that, uh, and that apparently uh, they were starting to say you know, that there's some evidence that al-Qaeda – uh, had gotten bioweapons from uh, Saddam Hussein's bioweapons program. So that was even floating around out there. And then, of course, we get an attack right after 9-11, which by any conceivable definition is a blatant false flag attack, which was the 2001 anthrax attacks that happened, started on October 5th. Yep, there we go. Um, false flag again. And if you think about it, I mean, all this other stuff the Bush administration was trying to throw at us, nuclear the nuclear program, the aluminum tubes, the sarin gas, um, that stuff I don't think was ultimately very effective because even uh, what was the whole – I forgot his name. But the guy who was married to Valerie Plame, you know, he destroyed the um, uranium and Niger claim like immediately and that had to do with the nuclear program. So that wasn't really something that stuck. Neither was the sarin gas thing either. What stuck 
was the idea that Saddam had stockpiles of anthrax and had mobile biological weapons labs like on train tracks making anthrax and that somehow that was a threat to us that he was possibly going to give this anthrax to terrorists. And lo and behold, an actual anthrax attack happens in the United States sort of right on top of all this propaganda. But it took us about a year after that to actually get to Iraq. But, I mean, to me, that it's like we were basically hit with two, you know, potential false flags in a row. But the anthrax attacks, um, they, they inevitably blamed on a super patriot. And, we, we, you know, everybody can go back and watch the episode that you and I and Abby yes, are did together. Yes, it was awesome. That, you know, breaking down that whole thing is fascinating. And I don't think most people realize how crucial that particular attack was to basically basically not just getting us into Iraq, but creating the impression among the American public that terrorism was a way of life now in the United States and that we were going to be under sort of this threat of constant terrorist attacks from here on out. And I think that without, you know, without the second one after 9-11, I don't think they would have been able to create that perception that you know, 9-11 might have just been a one-off. But the anthrax attacks really created the idea that they're going to keep coming. So we better watch out for the next one and the next one and the next one. And then the DC sniper thing you know, happened only a year later. And that's a really weird incident um, in and of itself. I mean, it's a whole, whole rabbit hole in and of itself. <laughs> it, it is. It, well, the media makes you think you leave your house. It's going to be, you know, terrorists are everywhere. Nazis are under your bed, you know. And it's just like they just move from thing to thing to thing to thing. And, you know, this orchestrated 9-11 and like the, the, the push for weapons of mass destruction. And then, you know, how it was basically proven phony intel based on a guy that was completely corrupt, hated, no, paid to lie, which, um, which is eerily similar to this Russian gate stuff that we just debunked. You know, and, and it's just like paid to lie, pushed by the media to pr- profit, uh, to push war. And then when I see all these people still working, man, it drives me nuts, dude. If I see Condoleezza Rice comment one more time on anything about the NCAA basketball, uh, you know, <laughs> operations or anything. I'm like, this woman was part of a lie. She lied us in knowing what she was doing. And it's like, there are war criminals who are able to see old age. It drives me crazy, dude. It's just like, there's no ramifications for this. And we all know that they lied. And yet, I see in the conspiracy community, I'm calling out my own people, this push to make it seem like Russiagate is the worst thing that ever happened in U.S. history, you know? And that these Democrats, Obama, Hillary, uh, Bill Clinton, are the worst thing ever happened when they don't even remember 15 years ago, uh, you know, or 20 years ago, that it was the neocons, the Zionists that were pulling this thing to me. And it is bad what they did with the Pfizer report and, uh, and the spying on uh, uh, an elected president. I think that's even worse than Watergate, but I still don't put that even close to the realm of 9-11 and weapons of mass destruction. Uh, it's just unbelievable to me. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean... People, people have, you know, it's the, what do people say? The United States of amnesia. I mean, even the conspiracy crowd forgets, you know, stuff that happened eight years ago. It's like, 
it really does take a long view of history to really understand that it's this is not a partisan thing. The deep state is not partisan. I mean, the, the notion of that is is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, it is true that probably a lot of Democrats and people who are Democrat voters didn't want Trump in office. But I mean, Jim Comey was a lifelong Republican, you know, and now all these people are trying to paint the entire Russiagate, you know, witch hunt team or whatever as these partisan Democrats. I mean, the Jim Comey thing is interesting to me because he actually was trying, he was kind of playing both sides. Like he released that letter saying that the Clinton investigation had been reopened right before the election. He, he, he wanted that letter to leak. He gave it to some Republican <gasps> staffers knowing that they were going to leak it. For sure. Um, and then later, you know, he comes out acting like he's this anti-Trump hero. I don't buy it. I mean, the whole thing is is odd. I, I would argue that Russiagate was a bipartisan effort. It was actually originally incepted by the same neocons you're talking about, Sam, the same neocons from the Bush era who, who were clever enough to figure out a way to get people in the Obama administration to go along with this. Yeah. And, you know, and then we get into uh, Wesley Clark's famous hammer nail seven nation yeah. speech, which is basically, you know, where he's like, uh, I went to the Pentagon. I went downstairs. Just say hello to some people. This is I'm reading from the transcript. Uh, people on the joint staff who used to work for me. And one of the generals called me and he said, sir, you got to come in. I got to talk to you for a sec. Talk to me for a second. You well. You're too busy. He said, no, 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 no. We've uh, made some decisions. We're going uh, to war with Iraq. And this was on uh, this was on the 20th of September. I said, we're going to war with Iraq. Why? He said, uh, he said, I don't know. I guess they don't know what else to do. So I said, well, did they find some information connecting Saddam to Al Qaeda? He's like, no, no, no. There's nothing new. They just made the decision to go to war with Iraq. I guess it's like when you don't know what to do about terrorism, we got a good military and we'll take down governments. I guess the only tool you have is a hammer. Every problem is a nail, you know? So then I came back a few weeks later, he says, and by the time we were bombing Afghanistan, are we still going to war with Iraq? He goes, oh, it's worse than that. He reached over to his desk and he picked up a piece of paper and it said I just got this down from upstairs meaning the secretary of defense's office today and he said this is the memo that describes how we are going to go take out seven countries in five years starting with Iraq and then listen to these names Syria Lebanon Libya Somalia the Sudan and Finishing off Iran. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, pretty darn close to what's actually already happened. Yeah. Definitely not in the short of a timeline, as he suggested. But yeah, I mean, and the idea of Iran being last or being sort of the prize, it makes sense because out of all those countries in the region who aren't under our sphere of influence in the Middle East, they're the most powerful and most likely to cause issues when we try <laughs> issues when we try to invade them. I mean, they're they're a power. They have a powerful military. Um, they have a very technologically advanced society um, compared to other Middle Eastern countries. So, um, I think that the, you know, like I was saying in the beginning, this Wesley Clark told us this. The Bush administration already told us they wanted to invade Iran in different ways. They told us this. So 
we should have assumed that eventually we were going to be faced with this again. I mean, and I think a lot of this has to do with not just the geostrategic interests in the region, um, but it also has to do with uh, this sort of never forgive, never forget mentality. I mean, imagine the embarrassment that these hardline hawk, you know, psychopath U.S. government people felt after the Iranian revolution happened. They took over our embassy and they basically got the Shah to flee the country. So they, they basically, through their own revolution, toppled a puppet government that we had installed there yeah. after we took, took down Mossadegh. So that's got to be deep-seated resentment have you that heard, people Robbie, in the U.S. That, government have against Iran. Yeah, for sure. Have you heard that, you know, George Bush and who was like had CIA ties, he was head of the CIA, and Reagan negotiated with the hostage taker uh, – the, to basically hold on to the hostages until after the war? I mean, after Absolutely. the election? That is, that was, uh, I think that's where the term October Surprise actually comes from. Uh, there's an amazing book by um, uh, Robert Perry, a journalist who passed away a couple of years ago, sadly. But he wrote a whole book about the October Surprise broke it down better than anyone else. And yeah, that's absolutely, it's been proven. There was actually a commission done after Reagan became president to investigate that. Um, I'm not sure what the commission included, but that's all totally accurate um, that they essentially held the hostages longer to make Jimmy Carter look bad and make it appear that Reagan was the one who sort of heroically, you know, saved them or or brought them back. So. Yeah, um, for sure. One thing I just want to say real quick is that, so Wesley Clark lists those, those, um, those countries that we want to go in. Now we're getting a conspiracy world here. So if you Google 2000, in the year 2000, what eight countries didn't have, for lack of a better term, Rothschild, I just think that's internet, IMF, W, uh, Bank, World Bank terms, uh, owned or controlled centralized banks. And these are the ones that come up. Afghanistan, Iraq, Sudan, Libya, Cuba, North Korea, Iran, Syria. So... Uh, how many of those are on Wesley Clark's list? A lot of them. And now you go to how many now don't have um, how many don't have uh, centralized banks? And right now the list is Cuba, North Korea, Iran, and Syria. I mean, I know it's a coincidence, but it's kind of interesting. It's kind of interesting that you know money is power. Give if I control. The, Everybody's money. I don't care who's fighting. Is that the, uh, a paraphrase of the famous quote by Rothschild? I mean, oh, it's so interesting. And then we get into, you know, it went from Al-Qaeda to ISIS, right? And how ISIS was the boogeyman. And then over time, we start, start you know, people start stooping around. They start seeing that there's kind of a pattern going on with ISIS and that, does ISIS, is ISIS the bad guy or are they controlled opposition? Are we funding ISIS? And then the answer is yes, they are. They're on the, they're on the uh, payroll, I believe. And because if you look at who ISIS is attacking, they're none of our allies. We've actually seen ISIS complain about accidentally attacking Israel. These are real things. You can look them up. And then we find out the, you know, that uh, a PR company came out in Britain and said that they were paid half a billion dollars to produce ISIS beheading videos. 
You know, we create the boogeyman. And if that is true, that means that people in our military are sending our sons and daughters to fight people with, that we fund with our arms, with our, our weapons. And that, to me, is disgusting and sad. Uh, have you heard anything about this, Robbie? Yeah, I mean, my my view on it's a it's a, a little different. I mean, I, I think there is definitely a, a confluence of forces in the region, um, Israel, even Turkey, um, other European countries, and the United States all have a strategic interest in creating or at least letting survive a contingent of ISIS fighters in these regions. Um, and there's been some specific examples of uh, like during the end of the Obama administration, um, we were actually providing unofficially, you know, we didn't say it out loud, but we were providing air cover essentially for ISIS. Um, we were we, we were creating uh, pathways for them to fight. Um, and this is all documented. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, just to tell your listeners, I made a fake beheading video myself um, in 2004. Really? Uh, Right after the um, the Nick Berg beheading video came out, we did it as a joke. We did it in our garage. Took us like maybe an hour or two to make. I put it on a file sharing network, and within two months, actual major media outlets picked up the video as a real beheading video that an American soldier had been beheaded in Iraq. Um, it wasn't until maybe 24 hours after that that they realized it was fake. But it had, it was too late at that point, you know. Over a hundred media outlets, no exaggeration, reported it as an actual real beheading video, um, because by the time it went, in, you know, the newspapers had printed it, the retraction came too late. So, um, you know, I have a lot of opinions on the idea of using snuff videos or these beheading videos to rile people up to the point of wanting to go, you know, use military strikes. I mean, I, I just find it interesting that that's still sort of a trope that's being used. That, you know, look how barbaric or how animalistic or, you know, whatever people say about, you know, the idea of ISIS making beheading videos. I mean, to me, it's just sort of like, well, if you don't have very much of a budget and you want to anger American like colonizers the most and make their blood boil the most, behead a Westerner on video and show it to them and talk yeah. about death to America. I mean, to me, that's like kind of a strategically smart, effective way to scare the shit out of people. And it's kind of and it works for the U.S. government's benefit, too, because then it's like the neocons really don't even have to do any work. They're just like, oh, look at this video instead of, you know, writing dozens of essays and going on the media every day to tell us how scary Al Qaeda is. It's kind of like just handed in their lap. It's, it's perfect in a way. You are so punk rock, bro. I fucking love that <laughs> that you did that, man. I love that. And then it was also found out because I used to say, man, if I could hire any social media person, I'd love to hire ISIS's social media person <laughs> because they crush it on the internet. I'm like, they get, dude, they get a million tweets, a million retweets, a million views. Whoever that guy is in whatever weird hut in the middle of nowhere on some fucking funky Wi-Fi, he is crushing it. And then it later comes on when they've kind of traced back one of ISIS's Twitter accounts. They finally went back to an office in uh, Parliament in uh, England. And it was like, oh, man, we create the boogeyman, so we have to fight the boogeyman. And it's kind of super sad that that does that, that they have to manipulate us into a war like that. And it's just like it's all mental 
warfare, man. It's all mental warfare. So I have to do this real quick. I forgot to do an advertisement early before we get into Iran. I want to tell you about Bluetooth. This is so appropriate. Do you guys, do you love boners you like sex uh guys let's talk about sex good sex remember the days when you were always ready to go now let's increase your performance and get the extra confidence in bed listen up bluechew.com that's right blue like the color okay bluechew brings you the first chewable with same fda approved active ingredients as viagra and cialis so you know it works you can take them anytime day or night even on a full stomach and sl- and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity presents itself, okay? Dude, it was in Skate Fest. Everybody was on Blue Chew. Chicks were on Blue Chew. Everyone was, Blue Chew, Blue Chew. Take up and choose some Blue Chew. Blue Chew, Blue Chew. They're going to use that, and I want credit for that, all right? Right now, we got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com, and you'll get your first shipment free and you will get a special with the special promo code HAT, capital H-A-T, and just pay $5 shippings after that. So again, that's blue com promo code HAT, and try it for free. Blue Chew is better, cheaper, faster, and we love you. And uh, I know that was a weird moment for that, but listen, dude, if you're going to talk about fucking somebody, let's talk about Blue Chew. So let's get into uh, Iran. Here it starts... Here we go. The drums of war. We got Iran. Why do you think they want Iran so much? Well, I mean, I think that it's it's an inevitability. I mean, it's it's they claim, you know, that if you if you go based on what they say, it's because they cannot allow, they say, Iran to have a nuclear weapon. Um, but we know that's obvious BS and that the nuclear deal that Trump's administration tore up um, would have actually prevented that from happening. I mean, all indications point to that deal was actually relatively solid as far as a way to keep a check on that. I'm not, I'm actually of the mind that I think Iran has the right to have nukes. If Israel has nukes, a secret nuke program, if Pakistan has them, if India has them, I, I don't, I don't see why Iran should not be allowed to have them. There's this, idea that you know our government has tried to portray that they are radical religious fanatics who will blow up the world because they believe in martyring themselves and getting virgins in heaven or whatever i mean you know why how is israel not fanatical you know i mean like so how are we not fanatical exactly exactly. i mean bush said that god told them to launch the iraq war so it's it doesn't add up um, it's another way of just otherizing the Iranian people. I mean, in a lot of ways, their society is very different than us. They have very harsh laws. But it's, you know, even that angle that they try to talk about why we need to save the Iranian people, why we need to, you know, rip hijabs off of women and let them run through the streets, it's phony. It's completely disingenuous. It's the, it is sort of the liberal in, the quasi liberal humanitarian in for neocon propaganda. Um, that's they say, try to do the same thing in Afghanistan. Um, you know, they tried to convince liberals that the Afghanistan war was valid because look how terrible the Taliban treat women and their own citizenry. Um, but that's not of an actual concern to the people in power. They just know that that is an effective talking point, you know, to convince liberals and conservatives. Um, 
but yeah, man, it's, uh, it's really heating up here and, um, it's, it's really, really dangerous. And I think that what people need to realize is just because Trump may have temporarily pulled back on a military strike, uh, after this drone was allegedly shot down, or I mean, it was in actually an, shot down. In both sides of Iran it, but, territory. Uh, and then on exactly. top of that, world is coming out that they flew it next to a passenger airline in case. So in case they did wow. shoot, there's a chance they could take out that so they could say. And then word is Iran pulled back. And what's very interesting about this whole thing is Max Walters, that her name, whatever that crazy lady is uh, from L.A. that's, you know, basically want people to ride against Trump supporters and then later fucking went in hiding because she was trying to incite a riot but you know she was like you know we can't shoot down you know we don't have the right to be in their airspace and then what's her name laura what's her face from fox news uh laura ingram ingram was like oh listen to her uh go against our own military in support of a country that is the number one funder of terrorism i'm like uh she's talking about iran she didn't mention saudi arabia or the United States. Like, now Fox News is like, well, man, we tried to be calm for a little while while Trump's in, but we got to start saying some batshit crazy stuff, too. And that's it. I mean, like, dude, you're, you're telling me that Iran is a threat to the world. We have, like, 50 bases around him. He's surrounded. They're surrounded with our bases. We are in, what, eight countries right now? Just those are wars. We're not even talking conflicts, which could be like up to 140. Like, we are putting up Nazi numbers. Nazi numbers, man. And it blows my mind that people somehow compartmentalize the amount of trauma and death we've caused in this righteousness to go like stop oppression and all this shit. And if you don't like how... Iranians treat women well maybe we shouldn't have fucking taken out the moderate that was in there I'm just yelling at I mean, at this point yeah man it's um, it, it's super disingenuous I mean anybody who's saying that this is anything you know validating an actual attack on their country it's it just completely ludicrous the problem is a lot of those people who are saying right now including Trump to his credit, I don't know how genuine he's being, but if we take what he's saying at face value, he's actually said that he doesn't believe killing 150 Iranians in a counterattack would have been proportionate to downing a, an unmanned drone. Unfortunately, though, you and I both know what will happen if the Iranians kill one American soldier. Just one, or not even soldier. Just like a contractor or something. That's all it will take for the full force of the American military to come down on them. And they, they're smart enough to know that. Um, they were playing a risky game, you know, trying to sort of fight back and, and show the Trump administration that they're not total cowards. Uh, they, they have admitted to shooting down the drone, um, even though it's, it was in their own airspace, um, which they have the right to do. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think that uh, this is going to heat up again. And if... The people in power, you know, who are under Trump or the military industrial complex factions of this, uh, if they can figure out a way to get one American killed or to make it look like an American was killed or captured, um, it's on. 
And unfortunately, I don't think anything could really be done to stop it. I, I, I don't think know. any protest is going to stop it. it. I don't dude. think even the amount of the lack of appetite people have for war are going to stop it because that's all it's going to take. I mean, we haven't had an American killed, um, you know, like that in a long time. And I think I mean, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm being too pessimistic. I mean, what do you think? Well, I mean, like. I, I think we're at a place where we have uh, taxation with no representation and uh, by our own government. And th- there is unilaterally, like, except for blue check talking head dipshits on Twitter, unilaterally, nobody wants war with Iran because we know what this is. This is not about defending ourselves. This is about us and, you know, and Israel and Saudi Arabia just trying to rewrite the map of uh, uh, of the Middle East. And, you know, I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I love Jews. And I, you know, I think Israel's like the United States. There's a just mass propaganda just fucking militarizing those people. And I'm not saying that they aren't doing uh, atrocities against Palestinians because we all know that they are. Uh, but, I mean, when I hear my friends say Israel has the right to defend itself, that says to me... Israel's going to get American soldiers killed to help their cause. And that's what happens all the time. Israel has the right to defend itself. Go defend yourself. I just don't think it needs, we need to be pulled into it. If Israel wants to have a problem with that, then they should go defend it. But what it means is we have to come in and lives will be lost and we'll be there for a decade or so. And we got these Zionists. And listen, man, Zionists, neocons, neoliberals, fuck Sharia law, all this bullshit idealism that is fucking forcing your beliefs on other people, that your way of thinking is superior. You can go fuck yourself, okay? Live and let live. That's what I say. I don't care if you're Jew, Muslim, straight, gay, White, black, man, woman. Just live your life. Don't hurt children. Don't hurt fucking other people. Live your life. But when you have a, a dog uh, dogma that is like your way's the right way, I have a real problem with that. And I don't like when I hear people say Israel has a right to defend itself. You do. I don't think American lives have to die for it. And that's my opinion, okay? And then we got these fucking, these cucks like John Bolton and uh, Mike P- P- Pompey, is that how you pronounce it? Pom- Pompeo. Pompeo, who are like, who have lied a thousand times. I mean, Pompeo said, I was head of the CIA. We got trained to lie, 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 lie. And then he's like, yeah, these guys, Iran's just, they're just a threat to everybody. And it's like, why don't you guys go fight John Bolton? Here's a spork from KFC. We'll throw you in Iraq and Iran and let you go fucking fight the war you really want. And it makes me super Sad. And them getting all of us to fight with each other is uh, a way that we don't pay attention to this. And it, uh, it makes me really sad because the same neocons are constantly getting us to uh, fucking into these wars for, you know, this deep state, whoever you want to call it, uh, to, For banker wars, in my opinion, you know, it's like it's really about some strategic land areas, whether it's a pipeline from Qatar going through Syria or Israel being a land bridge for Asia and Africa to have goods to go through to Europe. It's that's what it's all about. It's geopolitics, you know, and we're the aggressors and we're our 
our army is the stormtroopers for these international bankers. And that's why it's a lot different than everywhere else. And I think it's super sad. And I think people are starting to wake up to it. And I really do believe that this push for this false flag stuff is, isn't working. And it's really sad when, and your thoughts on this, did Tucker Carlson talk Donald Trump out of doing this and leading us into World War III, do you think? <laughs> well, be- before I comment on that directly, um, no, they, I mean, the idea of uh, what you're saying, no, it definitely holds up. Um, but I think that, you know, the scary thing here, Sam, is that if another 9-11 style attack happens here, I think then all bets are off. We will unlearn or the smarter sectors of society that have learned to be resistant to the propaganda and have learned to identify a lot of these things could possibly unlearn all that overnight if they feel that their lives are threatened by some kind of foreign country that has attacked us here or done some kind of terrorist attack here. That's my that's what I fear the most. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, but it's been almost 20 years since 9-11. I feel like we're kind of due, you know, like... I don't know, you know, I don't know if 20 years before 9-11 what the last major event was, but, you know, maybe arguably Pearl Harbor before that. But it seems like they're getting so desperate to cling to power here that I fear that that is in the cards some point in the near future. But going back to what you asked about, did Tucker Carlson talk Trump out of war? Um, I, I don't think so. But there is something very interesting happening here where Trump is smart enough to basically be playing both sides of this. He's, he's enticed to a great deal. A lot of these Iran war hawks, he's gotten them on his side for the last year. He's really sort of kind of fluffed them up, if you will. And on the other side of it, he's a lot of his base also is proud of the fact they say that Trump hasn't started any new wars. I agree with which that. Is not, which is not technically true 100 percent true he has started a new front of the war on terror in africa and if you really want to look at the numbers he has escalated bombing campaigns to a higher degree drone attacks in obama he hasn't started a new completely new front in terms of like let's say the libya attack was so technically speaking he hasn't done something like that but we're still not that far into his presidency i still think he's going to win in 2020 i don't think he's going to lose regardless of what people on the left think of how good Bernie is. Bernie's going to get absolutely trounced on the debate stage by Trump. Um, and I, I just think we all need to face Thoughts it. Thoughts on Tulsi years. But I, I do think that Trump is smart enough to know that it's kind of rope-a-dope. He's, he knows to, that you know he wants people to believe that there are these hawks surrounding him as administration who are trying to pressure him into war but that he's smart enough not to let them get their way. And I find I don't know if I believe that narrative, but that is definitely what he wants people to believe are happening. But then you have to ask, why did he hire John Bolton? Why did he hire these people? Why did he sell he, arms to Saudi Arabia? When he, he's exactly. from New York, he knows After who he funded said they 9/11. did 9-11. He said it. Like, what are you doing? And you, yeah. know where those, you know where those arms are going. They're going to ISIS. You are literally selling arms to the people who are going to be fighting our sons and daughters. That well, that was that was a whole other interesting thing he did. I mean, he was basically almost trying to normalize this military-industrial complex 
kind of relationship. Like he sat down in front of the press with MBS from Saudi Arabia with like flashcards showing the press here's how many jobs are going to be created when I send this many weapons from Boeing or to, to Saudi Arabia. Here's how many jobs are going to be created with this Raytheon weapon shipment. I mean, I've never seen a president or let alone like any major figure in power do something like that. And I just find it, you know, does he just not, is this him taking the mask off the way this is done? Um, or is he just trying to normalize this or the neocons under him trying to normalize this transactional relationship? I mean, cause what was it? John Bolton said, like three weeks ago that we're that we want the oil in Venezuela and Iran. Like he's talking in that style too. It's very oh in some ways transparent. You I want to argue. fight that guy. Boxing match, charity event, all charity goes to I'll give the money to the Rothschilds. They could have it. I want to fight him. In the boxing ring, anywhere one man, two men enter, one man leave. I just, I, he's such a disgusting human being. And they, you know, they live in this world where it's just like, there's no repercussions for lying and uh, cheating and, uh, you know, causing mass death of not just, uh, you know, Middle Easterns, but Americans. And it makes me sad because I, I think on the most primal, uh, basic levels, Jews, Muslims, Christians, whatever you are, we all just we're all just want to just get along and, and have love and, and raise our families and do all this stuff. And they get us all to fight with each other. And it's like people get mad at me because I say, you know, oh, Jews run the banks. Jews don't. I, there's levels so much higher that that. And they get us all like, oh, these people are fucking you and those people are fucking you. And they get in this identity politics shit. So we think the Irans are bad. You know, the you know, the South, you know, it's just like, dude, there's this small group of people. They're probably all related. When you find out Queen Elizabeth is related to like Mohammed, you're like, wow, how is that possible? Obama's related to Cheney. And it's like, it's this power elite group and they do everything. And they're, uh, they're not Jews. They're not Muslims. They're not Christians. They're just some dark arts motherfucking psychopaths who just use and abuse us to fucking make money. And and they get us to fight with each other. And when they don't realize if we just all came together, their whole thing would crumble. They can't fight us all. There's few of them and many of us. And we just have to push back. And maybe you're right. Maybe it's too late. I don't know. But it just it makes me so sad, dude. It just makes me super sad. What do you think? of that? What do you think? To end it here, what do you think really happens? Uh, what do you think is going to happen, Robbie? Well... I think a flip side, I'll take the opposite point of view just theoretically here on the Tucker Carlson thing. Because let's play out of the thought, the thought experiment that that's actually true, that he did talk Trump out of war and Trump was almost about to launch a military airstrike in Iran. Think of how fucked up that is if a television host was the deciding Wrong. factor between no war with Iran and like basically World War Three. I mean, because let's face it, if we attack Iran, it's not going to be anywhere near the level or, or I should say the containment level of Iraq, if you can even call it that. It's going to lead to a World War Three like scenario. And I think that just really reflects if that's true, if there's any truth to that, how tenuous and how dangerous of a position we're in right now. This rodeo is not over yet. This Iran war rodeo is not over yet. This is the prize. This is what the neocons and the military-industrial complex has wanted for a very long time. 
and we need to be very careful right now and not I don't think it's time to breathe a sigh of relief and be like, okay, Trump stopped this. He's he knows this is good. I think we're 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 going to be in for several more provocations and gestures, either by the media or whatever. You know, even even potential false flag attacks moving forward. So we're going to need to ride it out and and really be cautious. And that, I think that's the best we can do right now is just don't let our guards down. That this is all over yet. Um, because th- this is something they deeply, deeply care about. And, you know, the military industrial complex is in some ways it's it is a moving, unstoppable train. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how you stop it once it starts. Um, so all we can do right now is just act outrage, you know, express outrage, get in the streets, um, confront people, uh, do whatever, because this hasn't started yet. Uh, but I fear that once it starts they won't really need to sell the public on it because that machinery is just going to click on and, and just go full speed. I couldn't agree more. I, I want to take an even more optimistic look. I'm okay. saying if Tucker Carlson can <laughs> talk to this president and convince him even for a short time to hold off on this attack, what could this, if we all came together and just said, no, dude, we don't want it anymore. I think if a, a large group of us push back, you know, when he, uh, he made it okay to hunt endangered animals and there was just, just pushback, I remember he, he, he okay, it's not happening. We're done. We're not, that's not going to happen. I think he is affected by that. There was this whole thing that, like, all he wants to do is be liked. And maybe he's so deep. And maybe, you know, there was this whole thing that they, they like, the engine on a uh, plane that his daughter and his son-in-law, who I think is a, a, a Jared Kushner, is the new Benedict Arnold and a giant piece of shit, uh, that they tried to take it down. And maybe that was a sign to him. They're like, hey, play ball or else something bad's going to happen. But uh, to me, that the fact that Tucker Carlson go, dude, this is not good, that if we as a group all kind of push back and we all go, we don't want war. We don't want war. We want to end, bring our troops back, bring our infrastructure back, bring money. Let's invest in America again and get back to where it was 2000, you know, September 10th, 2001, when it just like we were loved by the world. And I know the country wasn't perfect. And when there was race relation problems and gender problems, but it's like, there was a, there was kind of an optimism, and there was kind of a love of us, and I think that's all gone, and I think we can get back to that if we just all push back. Uh, Robbie, I love you to death. I love every time you're on your show. I know I'm a little crazy sometimes, uh, and that okay. you don't always prescri- subscribe to my thoughts, but you are an example of people I like to have on the show because I am not interested in just talking to people that agree with me or I agree with. I want to hear from both sides so I can have super conservative people on and then I can have people like yourself who you are a media truth that might lean to the left a little more. I love that. I want to hear from everybody. And I'm so thankful you come on because I do say crazy shit that maybe you're you're not into, but I appreciate that you laugh and you have a good time and uh, you and your uh, sister are fucking gold. And I appreciate you guys coming on, man. Can you tell them about your uh, podcast real quick? Again. Thanks for all the kind words, man. That's that's really nice of you. Uh, The the podcast is uh, Media Roots Radio. 
we try to do it every week. Uh, when I say we, I mean me and my sister, Abby Martin. Um, and uh, uh, we, I also do live streams occasionally on my own YouTube channel, A Very Heavy Agenda, uh, where you can also watch my uh, documentary series about the neocons. Um, so, yeah, that's mostly where you can check my stuff out. We'll do a little episode on that. Uh, I just want to say to your parents, they should write a book about how to raise children because they did a <laughs> wonderful job. We need more parents like that to raise fucking great people like you. I love you, buddy. I hope I can see you in San Francisco when I come up here, even if maybe for lunch or something like that. I'd love to see you. If not, come love to too, the man. show. And I will do it again soon. I love everybody. Again, thanks for coming to Skankfest. Hope to see a date coming near you. Uh, we got Washington. We got Chicago. We got all these dates coming out. I love you all. Thank you, Aaron, so much for letting us go a little over. I appreciate you guys. And uh, we'll see you next time.